Welcome once again. My name is Alan, and we have been in a series all year called The Whole Shebang, looking at God's overall story. And what we're doing is looking at the development of our character. And how we're doing that is looking at different characters throughout God's story and then seeing how that character can influence, uh, transform our own character. Something that's slippery about the concept of character development is that it's hard to um, identify growth sometimes. How do we know if we're doing well? How, what, what is the way to measure character growth? How do we evaluate if after a year of being committed to something that something is going well? If you're trying to learn a new skill, if you want to develop some area of your life, it's helpful and motivating to have some sort of goal to say, by this time, I want to be able to do this. But that's a little tricky with regard to character development. My guess is that most here in the room are interested in character development, whether this is your first time or you've been here for a while, that you're saying, I want to develop my character. If, I imagine there's very few of you here this morning who are saying, no, I'm good. I, I got that. I got that. Perhaps uh, humility is the one uh, uh, area that has eluded you so far, uh, if that's the case. But how do we know if we're doing well? A few weeks back, we looked at the Apostle Paul and the fact that we are not supposed to compare ourselves to one another. That can be a tricky and, and self-destructive journey because there's always somebody better and there's always somebody worse. And so that, that, that's not the way God wants us to be challenged in terms of our character development. We've also looked, when we looked at the section called the Messiah, we're in a section, if you have a binder, we're in a section right now called um, the, uh, uh, what is it called? Thank you. Awesome. You're right on it. Called the Revolution. And this is basically the story we find in the second half of the New Testament. But just prior to this, the section was entitled, the prior to the Revolution, right before that. Messiah, ding, 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 prizes for everybody. And uh, so during the Messiah, what we learned there is that Jesus is the 3D model for character. He is the model for character, but that's not something that is attainable for us. That is a goal. That is something we want to move towards, but that's, that can't be our, our, our benchmark for our journey on how we are going to develop. So how can we do this in a way that is motivating? How can we know what we are going after? How is this measured? How can we know if we are on pace? What are we shooting for? Well, in my profession, I have a little bit of, of, of a bonus. There is a gift that has been etched into Scripture 2,000 years ago that gives guidelines in terms of how a pastor is supposed to live, be. And so I have these character benchmarks, and I want to share them with you here uh, in just a moment. Paul writes to uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a fair amount of our New Testament, he writes to a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy's the character we're looking at today. He writes to this young pastor and talks with him about how to do church. He says, here's how the, govern, the governance of the church is supposed to look, and here's how you're supposed to handle difficulties within the church. And here are the benchmarks for the character of those who are in leadership in the church. Now, Paul talks about different kinds of roles, about overseers and deacons and bishops, and, and most would say that these, these names are basically interchangeable, deacon, bishop, pastor, priest, whatever. These things basically just are referring to those who are, who have, who are called by God into ministry. 
And so I want to read this for you real quick from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's where we're going to spend our time this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning in verse 2, this is what Paul has to say about the benchmarks for, for professional Christians, for pastors in terms of their character development. Beginning in verse 2, now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I want to come back to that in just a few moments. But there you have it. This is... These are the benchmarks for me in my profession. There are 16 things laid out there. I've got about nine of them. Uh, okay, you can, you can decide. You can decide which one. Uh, so, but what's your response to that list? Whether you listen to it or you have your Bible in front of you and you were reading this, what is your response to this? Does it seem like, oh, that, that, that seems like a reasonable list of expectations for a pastor. Does it seem to you, wow, that, that's a pretty high bar. Does it, does it seem to you as you read that, as your impression, whew, I'm glad I'm not a pastor? Does it maybe, uh, maybe when, you re- when we hear that or read that, your thought is, well, no wonder pastors are so boring and, uh, and stressed out all the time. What, what, is, your, what is your response to, uh, to this list? Well, this is a benchmark for me, and I get to take a look at this and say, how am I measuring up? What's, what is my character development journey? How is that going? Wouldn't it be nice if you had something like this for your character development, for your spiritual journey, for you uh, in your profession as a mom, as the vice president of the company that you work for? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, there's some good news this morning. <laughs> ding, 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 you all win. Because this list here, this is not just for me. This list is for all of us. You are not allowed to separate yourself from this list and say, Pastor, I hope that's you. Because I, I, I hope that I don't have to do that stuff. This is a wonderful list for all of us in terms of character development. A uh, guy we looked at. Well, the reason, the reason that that is, is that we are all representatives of Christ. We, are, we all represent God's story if we are a follower of Jesus. Uh, last week we talked about Peter, and, and in his letter he says that we are chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, that, uh, that we are a people belonging to God during the the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, they championed the phrase that, that we are the priesthood of all believers, that none of us is separated from this character benchmark list, that there isn't a different set of benchmarks for those who are professional Christians. We are all representatives of Christ, ambassadors of him and of his story. This could be a huge Sunday for some of you because you could go home and call your mom and tell her you're a priest. That'll get her attention, won't, don't you think? 
kind of a new day. Well, Timothy, Tim, this letter, 1 Timothy, was written to this young man. He was a normal person like you and me, a normal person. And Paul uh, interacts with him on his, on his missionary journeys. We learn in the uh, revolution story, which is basically the story we find in the book of Acts, that the letters that we read after the book of Acts, they fit into the story that we find in the book of Acts. Romans was written here, and Philippians was written here, and 1 Timothy was written here in this overall story. And the story of the book of Acts is the formation of the, of the church, and then these three missionary journeys that Paul led, Paul went out on. That was his role as a leader in the, reform, in the, um, in the revolution. And uh, in his first journey that he went out, he met this young man named Timothy. And the story is that uh, Timothy grew up uh, as, as a, a Jewish young man. And because of Paul's teaching him about who Jesus is, that Timothy became a follower of Christ, believing that Jesus is the very Messiah that they as Jews had been waiting for. And so Timothy became a follower on Paul's second missionary journey, he got to spend a little bit more time with Timothy and got to learn just how great this young man is. So what happens is Paul eventually um, trusts this young man to be the pastor in a place called Ephesus. And that's what, where this letter comes from is Paul is writing to Timothy as he is learning how to pastor this group of people in Ephesus. Paul really digs Timothy. You can tell a lot about how someone feels about someone else by what they might write about that person. And so I want to just read a few verses from Philippians chapter 2. You, you, you don't have to go there if you want. I'll read it for you. Uh, but Paul is writing to the Philippians. Obviously, you can go there. I'm not, I'm not you know, turn, you know, it's not that you're not allowed. But uh, Philippians chapter 2, real quick, I'm going to go here and then jump back to, to 1 Timothy. But Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul is a major fan of of young Timothy. In fact, when Paul is at the end of his days in Rome, in a prison in Rome, his kind of final request is that Timothy be the one to come and be with him and spend time with him at the end of his days. Paul loved and trusted Timothy more than any of the other people that he worked with. And it, it seems to me that the reason for that is that Timothy reflected this character that Paul walked out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's who he was. That's what he looked like. I think that Paul has given us this list of how to be the, the priesthood of all believers, the, 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 the priesthood of which we are all a part, if we are a follower of Christ, that Paul gave us this list through Timothy because, partially because Timothy was living this out. That's what he looked like. I think Paul adored Timothy because his life looked like this. He speaks about it. He writes about it in Philippians chapter 2. A glowing report. Again, the character we're looking at today is Timothy. And the character trait, which we're trying to do each week, is a character and a trait. The trait, I think, is Timothy's broad-based integrity. 
that Timothy was a young man of integrity. And what I mean by broad-based is that there is a balance for him. As you look at these different areas, that there, there's no indicator that he was, he was severely out of balance in his character development. It was broad-based. He was a man of integrity. See, that's what integrity means. It means that we are the same people in every area of our lives. Integrity means that our lives are integrated, that each section of our lives is not siloed or separated. They are integrated. Remember in, uh, I don't know if it was middle school math, I can't remember exactly when we learned about an integer. It's the same root word, that integrated, integrity, an integer. An integer is a simple number. One, two, three. Integers are not fractions. They're not decimal points. It's a whole number. One, two, three. Integrity, integration is about being whole in all areas of our lives. Not saying, okay, overall in terms of my character, I'm about a seven out of ten. I've got this one area that's a one out of ten, but I've got a few nines, and so the average ends up being seven. I'm okay. Integrity says, I've got to pay attention to this one out of ten area. Integrity says that all areas of our lives are integrated, and that we don't allow that part of our life that perhaps is the darkest or the, the biggest struggle for us, we don't allow that to just continue. If we want to be a person of integrity, if we want to be an integrated person. When I was in Cincinnati, I remember there was a gentleman who came on staff uh, at the church that I was at, and uh, so he was a new pastor with us. And for some reason, I can't remember exactly why, my wife and I needed to make a pretty long journey out to his house to drop something off. I can't, again, I can't remember what it was, but I do remember the journey. And I remember what happened on the journey because this man uh, uh, demonstrated a little bit of a lack of integrity. We went out there again, about a 40-minute drive. My wife was eight months pregnant uh, on this little drive that we made out there, this little uh, chore, task that we had to do. My wife stayed in the car, and I went up, and I, I was uh, just kind of getting to know this guy, very new to our church, and so I uh, gave him what I, what I gave him, and, and he, uh, we'll call him Randy, because um, that's his name. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we had this little exchange, and then I said, hey, uh, can my wife come in and use your restroom? Uh, and he said, oh, my wife would kill me if I let anybody in the house right now. Sorry. And I said, oh, no, 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 uh, my wife is eight months pregnant, and, you know, she's got like a 23-minute window between restroom breaks, and so we just had a 40-minute drive. It'd be great if she could just come in. She won't even look at anything, just boom. It'd be awesome. appreciate that. He said, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, you are not integrated, man. You are not an integrated person. Actually, I had different words that were rolling around in my head that wanted to come out that I, 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 I held back. See, that to me is an, as a lack of integration. Yes, it's important to have a reputation of our house looks great and we have everything, you know, put where it's supposed to be. And yes, that is, that's an important value. And it is, it is a character issue to take care of the things that God has, has provided for you. That, that, is, that is a good thing to, to have value for. But there's also a value in terms of just basically taking care of other people and being kind. And so, so there's this imbalance in terms of these two areas. There's a lack of, of integration. Integrity means that we are the same on the outside as we are on the inside. 
that this area of our life, it is a reflection, it is consistent with this other area of our life. See, God is a God of integrity. His creation has integrity. When you go to buy a banana, you don't buy a banana. You don't buy the, the white, uh, uh, yummy fruit that's inside. You don't buy that. You buy a cluster of peels. You buy a cluster of banana peels because you know if they're green or yellow or black or whatever, you know by God's creation what's going to happen on the inside of that. You don't buy the banana. You buy the peels and you know what it's going to look like on the inside because you can see the outside. Integrity means that we look the same on the inside as we do on the outside. Integrity means that we look the same at work that we do at home. Integrity means that, that if we are leaning forward in our walk with Christ and in our character development, that we give him access to every part of our journey, every part. So I want to go back to this list in 1 Timothy Three And instead of this list being just for those, those poor pastors, this is a list for all of us. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Now the overseer, the bishop, the pastor, the priest, the follower of Christ must be above reproach. It's the only time we find this word, in this phrase in Scripture, Above reproach. This means that there is no conduct in our lives that we would be embarrassed about having presented before everyone else. There is no silo, there's no section of our life that we block off and say, I don't want anyone to know about this piece here. I have a friend who uh, follows what I call the presidential rule. He kind of described this to me, and I, and I like it. I remember it, so I call it the presidential rule. He knows that if, if, if someone is going to become president of the United States, that every email, every tweet, every update on Facebook, everything that you have, have written or, or uh, uh, recorded or videotaped or whatever, everything in every area of your life, if you become president of the United States, Every piece of that from your whole life will surface. Every piece from every age, every stage of your life, every place you've ever visited, it will all come out. All the dirt will come out. And so he makes, it, makes a, a, a very committed effort to not have anything that will stand in the way of his possibility of becoming the president of the United States. Now, the fact that he's a dimwit is probably the biggest reason he won't be the president. But I appreciate the presidential rule in terms of being above reproach. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. I think it's important that Paul throws that in there, or the wife of but one husband. God's design is for one man and one woman to be in covenant with one another, period. That is the way the, the emotional, spiritual, sexual union is to take place. Just a few weeks back, I met with a, um, 
a, a young couple that wanted me to bless their journey and their uh, decision moving towards uh, getting married or not. And it was in the conversation, in a brief conversation, that I realized that they were, they were living together. And so I, I wanted to address that, not because there's any a judgment here. I'm not a, this is not a judgmental place. We are a safe place to visit. We all have our areas of character development that we're working on. But I think it's very appropriate in the honesty and the integrity of, of character development to just talk about it frankly. Let's talk about the reality of, of what's happening here. And what we talked about is the fact that, that when, we, when we live together and we're not in covenant, we're not committed to one another in the, uh, under God, then we are acting as if we're married. We are acting in every way as if we're married, emotionally in every way, just without the peace that God has asked us to do, to be a part of. And so we're, we're, the idea of asking God to bless us in an area where we are not obedient to what he has lined up for us that's not integrated. It continues. Is to be temperate. Temperate means balanced. Means that there is integration between areas of our lives. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I could pause on any of those. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That one you kind of got to stop for a little bit. If you're a superstar at work, and maybe that's where you want to spend more and more of your time because things are really difficult or rough or messy at home, then that's not integrated. And so I hope it's clear out of this challenge that the expectation is not perfection. The expectation in terms of integrity is being honest. It's being honest about the areas where we may need to invite God to do some, some serious transformation. Paul continues, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That as ambassadors of Christ, we are to have a good reputation. I mean, what do people say about you? What do people think about you? Not that that motivates us, but that our character would have an effect on what people say. I remember a bumper sticker that said, Jesus loves you. Everyone else thinks you're a jerk. And I just, that just grabbed me and thinking, man, I, I don't want to be that person. I mean, I, mean, I want to I represent Christ well. What is your reputation with the people in your community that you do life with that, who know that you are a representative of Christ? The staff at the restaurant that you frequent. The... Um, the gas station that you go to, the doctor's office, in your neighborhood, people at work, people who are your regular clients. What is the reputation that you have with them? I remember, um, well, he says, Paul continues, he says that our, that our reputation, have a good reputation with outsiders so that, so that this person will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
that there are devil's traps of integrity that we encounter on a regular basis. I remember a scene from the movie Family Man. You remember this little Nicolas Cage a little ways back? And it's a story of a guy who kind of gets a ghost of the future image in terms of what, what life could look like for him if he became, um, if he wasn't uh, so selfish and he started to kind of uh, enjoy other people and develop a, a, this family. And that was the story that is told there. And he's, he's kind of led into this journey by an angel or a ghost and there's a scene early on when Nicolas Cage in, in, interacts with this ghost where the ghost is giving change to a woman in a store and gives her the wrong change. And then she looks at it and then walks away. And then the ghost says to Nicolas Cage's character, says, it's amazing that people will sell their soul for $10. A devil's trap. Ten bucks. I mean, just, just this little piece. Let me tell you about it a devil's trap that I had a little, little ways back. Um, a number of years ago, I got the surround sound bug. It's kind of a manly thing to get. The, my, my wife just has no appreciation or understanding about it. She, she, she sees no difference between the speakers on the television and the whole surround sound game. Okay, so I, my wife and I are not integrated, uh, you know, with this here. But, but I got the surround sound bug, and so I wanted to have, I felt like it was, it was an integrity issue for me to respect the creators of the movies by enjoying 5.1 surround sound, okay? Now, I didn't want to just have surround sound. I wanted to have the very best that was available, and my understanding of that uh, was the uh, Bose. was that I had to have, I wanted to have, I desired to have the Bose surround sound uh, in my home, and uh, then my life would really be great. And so... So, uh, and the reason I wanted to go after Bose is that I had seen the demonstration. So I want to, I want to kind of to to uh, recreate the demonstration that Bose offers to compare their speakers. These are these are from uh, my uh, Bose system here with another one. So here's a decent speaker, and here what I'm going to do is I'm going to play uh, a little bit of music. Oh yeah, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean that's a that's a good speaker. That's a high quality speaker. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to transfer this over to the Bose speaker and we'll see how it sounds. Let's see if this works. See the sound you can get out of this little speaker? It's awesome. What a selling point that is. You go, I've got to have one of those. Little tiny itty bitty cube there. Okay, so the opportunity came for me on Black Friday 2004. Black Friday 2004, I took my lunch break on that particular day and the church I was at was just a few blocks away from Best Buy. I went to Best Buy and they had a $2,500 Bose system. $2,500. $2,500. And if you ever shopped or looked at Bose, at least at the time, Bose never went on sale. You, they have, uh, uh, you know, 20% off, and then they say, accept Bose. That's the way the thing always works. So Bose never went on sale. I went to Best Buy, 
And they had an open box item on Black Friday for $1,400. And I said, I called my wife and I said, God has spoken. <laughs> and so this is, this is the time. And I had the box. I had it on the cart. And do, 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 you know, I, I'm going to check, at, check out on the deal. And, uh, and because it was an open box and, and all that, she had to punch in the, the, the price for it. And uh, so... 1400, I saw come up on the screen. She made a mistake and it went 1140. She double, double punched the one. So it was 1140. And I saw it and I paid it. Hey, don't judge. <laughs> don't you ooh me. <laughs> or I'll start keeping track. So I paid it. And I put it in my trunk, and then I, I went back to work that afternoon, because this was over my lunch hour. This is in, uh, you know, this is in November, and I was actually working, I was writing the Christmas play for our church, and so I went back, and so I was, I was really focusing on the person of Jesus Christ coming in to save the world. And it was in the midst of that where I felt a strong lack of integration. Again, don't judge me. But there, there, was this, there was this weighty integrity piece that says, well, Best Buy, they're a big old company. What's, you know, all the little moral uh, uh, gymnastics that we make with that. And so then I, I decided, I, I didn't just want to pay the difference. I didn't want it. I didn't want it anymore. Uh, and so I went back and I, and I put it on a cart and I went back in and I said, and with my plans, I want my 1140 back and uh, done deal. I want to walk away from this. Hadn't even opened it. And so the manager met me at the front door and I uh, explained the situation and the manager realized just how tricky of a, I mean, they were just still swamped and how tricky of a paperwork it was going to be. And he, he, he actually said to me, he said, you know what, we are doing great today. This is an 04, things are still, you know, hadn't quite tanked yet and so we're having a great day. Appreciate your honesty, Merry Christmas. And so, uh, so then, uh, here it is, uh, 11.40. <laughs> but, <laughs> so now, Sometimes, those of you who've wrestled with this kind of stuff, sometimes integrity pays off. I think most of the time, it costs us. I mean, sometimes it pays, sometimes it costs, but I think the point here is that that's the journey we're supposed to make regardless of what the outcome is. It's not just about measuring, okay, what's the outcome going to be of me being a person of integrity? It's, I'm going to be a person of integrity, I'm going to be integrated regardless of the outcome. And, and again, this list in 1 Timothy 3 is not about uh, perfection. It's not about, man, you gotta, you got to keep on beating yourself until you get all of these things right. It's not about that at all. It's about being honest. It's about looking at all areas of life and saying, am I integrated? Is, is the person I was over lunch hour at Best Buy, is that integrated, consistent with the person that I am when I'm meeting for somebody in terms of pastoral counseling? Or whatever. I mean, is there integration in the areas of our lives? I want to look at one more little section here that Paul writes to Timothy. Next chapter. Chapter 4. It says in verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
Train yourself to be godly. This issue of integrity is not something that we achieve by just praying real hard about it. It's not something that we can just enter into by the strength of our will, by making a choice, boom, I'm going to do this now. It is a process of training. It is a long-term, consistent commitment to character development. It involves having a regular encounter with the living word and allowing its stories and its truths, its way of integrity to be imprinted into our hearts, into our souls, into our lives, consistently investing in this. It involves being in relationship with people who will take us to a new level, people who are further down the road than we are in terms of marriage, in terms of professional endeavors, in terms of our spiritual quests. It is a, it is a commitment to a journey. It is training. It's training. I love the language that he uses there in, in verse 8, saying physical training is good. Physical training is good. I think that is so relevant for us here in Ahwatukee, etc. I mean, it's so relevant. We have so many opportunities for physical training. This is the most physical training area I've ever lived in my entire life. That there's so many gyms and yoga places, and we have yoga here at, at the church. We have a fantastic YMCA uh, just down the road. Uh, there, uh, it seems like every other person I know is a physical expert, is a, is a fitness expert way more than I am about different areas and how to eat and diet and the whole thing. It's just you guys, uh, you're sick uh, in some ways in terms of how... How much physical training is available for us? I feel like sometimes I'm in the Olympic Village uh, with cyclists going all over the place and runners all over the place. And I'm, okay, what am I competing in today? And, and the whole thing is just plenty of opportunity for physical training. But Paul says, what about training in godliness? Or in other words, spiritual training. Where do we get that? If you want to do that, if you want to grow in that area, how does that work? That's why this place is here. That's why Mountain Park exists. We want to be a safe place for people to come and not be judged and visit and learn the transforming story of Jesus Christ, but we also want to be a dangerous place to stay and grow spiritually and be challenged in significant ways. That's... That, that, that's, our, that's our responsibility here. So that we would enter into character development with the bar raised high. The, our job here is not so that, you, so that you all would feel good, but that we would be challenged into the character development that Christ is inviting us into. That the bar would be raised high, that we wouldn't say, hey, I'm doing pretty good in this area, so I'm just going to kind of lean in that area and set aside these other ones. But in terms of being integrated, in terms of having integrity, I'm going to say, God, you have access to all of it. All of it, every area. That's the dangerous journey. It really is. Once we get to these other places that we haven't given God access to for maybe a whole lot of years, that's a dangerous journey. And that's a journey of integrity, of becoming in integrated. And I think that's what Timothy models for us. Would you bow your head so I can pray with you as we close up here today? Father, thanks for the amazing 
examples of character that we have in your story. And what's so amazing about them is that they are not perfect, and Scripture makes it real clear that these people are not perfect. They have thorns in their flesh. They have struggles, just like we do, yet they are still models for us in terms of how to live life. And so as we look at Timothy here and the, the character that he displays and the character that, that Paul lays out in his letter to Timothy, God, would you come and inspire us to, to live lives that are integrated? That for those in the room who have had this one area of life that's maybe a one out of 10 that has been ignored for a while, God, would you bring supernatural integration into our hearts, into our souls, so that we can be honoring ambassadors of your story. We can represent you well. That we can hold our head up high, knowing we are, we are growing, we're moving, we're following you. May we be men and women of integrity. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for uh, joining with us today, and we will see you next time.